I told you we were going to get through this Davos conference, and uh, we're going to try and finish it off today. So let's listen to part two of the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. This is Gene, and you're listening to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Hey, this is Gene. Welcome back to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Okay, let's move on. Let's continue. Well, we got lucky. Uh, just little personal note. One of the reasons I'm still at Josie's is because uh, her daughter got into an accident. Apparently an animal hit her windshield and she slammed into the median. She's okay. Everything's okay. Car's a little messed up. Not too bad. Could have been a lot worse. So just send us a little prayer if you don't mind. It would be good because I think it's just it's a very stressful situation. So, okay, so let's get to it. Free speech is a huge problem for the leftists at Davos, and they had plenty to say about it, a ton to say about it. Here's the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres. He thinks that the legal systems should hold basically the private sector, and he's specifically talking about social media, they should be held accountable for things or disinformation or misinformation, whatever that is. Well, we know what it is. It's what the WEF doesn't want uh, to air. Let's listen to what he's got to say, this UN secretary. Such a good point. You know, when uh, we grew up and read the papers, the editor took the pride in everything being correct in the paper. And now there's no editing. It's up to the individual to then assess if this is true or not. Yes, but there is a responsibility of the platforms. I mean, um, one can argue uh, if, if uh, we have something, as you, as you mentioned, in the media, and if someone is uh, attacked in a way that is wrong, uh, uh, there is a possibility to go to the court. Uh, in social media, there is no responsibility. And I can understand the argument of social media platforms saying, well, this is put by people, so it's not our responsibility. But the truth is that the algorithms are made in such a way that they amplify in a preferential way a certain number of things. And whether, when the algorithm amplifies, then there is, in my opinion, a responsibility and there should be accountability, including through the legal system in relation to those situations. At least when false information, defamation, all other kinds of things are benefited, are not only just what someone puts, but are benefited by the way the algorithm amplifies that. That creates, in my opinion, a responsibility of the platform. No, thank you. Oh. I do want to point out that this guy is running an organization that is probably one of the most corrupt organizations in the world. The United, United Nations is completely a corrupt organization. It is a communist organization. It hates America. It hates Israel. It hates anything capitalist. It's a crap organization. I personally think we should tear it down, salt the earth, and then build a Starbucks on that primo property in New York, and then send the United Nations to China and let China pay for them. This is why globalist groups like the UN, the WHO, the WEF hate America. We have free speech. In fact, I think we are the only one of the only countries in the world that has free speech. 
We know they don't have it in Great Britain. We know they don't have it to our levels in Canada. It, ideas that don't, ideas that these people don't like, they just want filtered out, and they want people who throw out these ideas should be legally held liable, and I'm assuming made broke or go to jail. In other words, this is the globalist cancel culture. By the way, that Second Amendment thing, yeah, it's kind of a problem for them too. Don't forget, the Second Amendment is there to protect the First Amendment, which is free speech, freedom of religion, free press, freedom to uh, uh, protest. All of that is protected by the Second Amendment, done on purpose. And notice, they just never have a problem with China. China that suppresses speech, China that will throw you in jail for saying something they don't like, China who has concentration camps, always United States and misinformation. And of course, here's the big problem. The Democrats in the United States, they think we should stop free speech because we want to stop misinformation. And by the way, before I even get to it, misinformation, disinformation, crap they don't like. And the reality is, in the last couple of years, especially since COVID started, we've had nothing but misinformation and disinformation about COVID. And guess who it came from? It came from the left. When they were lying to us about the masks, they were lying to us about the the shots. They were lying. I mean, I to this day, I still can't post any of this on YouTube. I still can't post it. I'll get banned. But whatever. So here's Seth, here's a representative, Seth Moulton. Uh, he's a Democrat from Massachusetts, and here he decides to have a discussion about uh, misinformation. Another quick comment on this, um, which I, I, com I completely agree with what you're saying. And this concept of preserving public safety, uh, even under the banner of pre free speech, is actually something that we've accepted for a long time. You know, we get taught in, in grade school the concept of, you know, yes, you're allowed free speech, but not crying fire in a crowded theater. First things first, any American that is over there talking about globalism and how the world should be running, how the world should run and controlled by a world organization. Any American over there should be kicked out of office, especially if they're a politician. Okay, they work for the government. It's one thing if Bill Gates is over there. That's great. Bill Gates could be there. He's not. He, for some reason, decided not to go. Or if Jeff Bezos is there, they're private citizens. They could do what they want. They have their opinion, and they're allowed to have their opinion. But if you got representatives over there, they should be kicked out of office. That includes Maria Salazar. That includes John Kerry. That includes this representative. And by the way, this is the dumbest argument. I, I swear this is what Demo the left always brings up. You can't yell fire in a movie theater, crowded movie theater. The, the reality is that that's a glib comment made by a Supreme Court justice ruling on free speech. Okay? He didn't mean that is not law. You can actually yell fire in a crowded theater, especially if there is a fire in a crowded theater. This guy is already guilty of misinformation. Speaking of firing um, bureaucrats, here is FBI Director Christopher Wray. Why he's there again, I have no idea. Well, this guy's not a, a world leader. Talking about how the FBI is dealing with social media companies, and, and basically not social media companies per se, but the private sector. And how they're making strides, curtailing, again, quote, disinformation, which is just, end quote, which is just information they don't like. Here he is. 
And I think the, uh, the sophistication of the private sector is, is improving and, and particularly important, the level of collaboration between the private sector and the government, especially the FBI, has, I think, uh, made significant strides. Pretty much every technology we could talk about today, uh, we see both great opportunity but great, great dangers uh, in the wrong hands. Remember when we were told that the FBI was not uh, working with social media? They were just they were just kind of talking to them and asking them things. And, and then the, the Twitter files came out, and we found out not only was the FBI working with social media companies, actively requesting that accounts and quote disinformation end quote, including a Hunter Biden laptop. They were actually working with social media, and then we found out via the Twitter files again that not only were they working with social media, they were paying social media. And then the FBI came up with another, oh, well, we didn't really pay them, we just helped them with their legal costs or whatever. And remember when Mark Zuckerberg said, oh yeah, the FBI used to call us? Free speech is a a major issue for the elitists. Schwab talks about it in his book. Schwab talks about not only is it is it a major issue, it's another thing that's a major issue is tracking us. We're going to get to that. I, I That's coming. But the first thing I want to talk about before we get into controlling speech, uh, be, uh, before we get into the next part here, oh, I'm sorry, I, I do want to talk about food. But I, this is one of the areas where I really get upset. I really get upset when they try and control our arms. They try and control our guns. It's bad enough to, they're trying to control free speech, but they're trying to take away our guns. And this is a major issue. We need an armed public. And I'm going so far as to say we should do what the Founding Fathers did after the Revolutionary War. We should be required to carry arms. We should be required to own a gun. This is what they said back in the 1700s, the late 1700s after the Revolutionary War. Houses, homes with family, every home was required to have a weapon, a gun, for every fighting age male. They were required to have it. Why? They were afraid of foreign influence and they were afraid that if the government becomes too big, they decide to implement the king, then we should have to fight and be ready to fight. The World Economic Forum scares the crap out of me. Now, I think it's very weak. I think their ideas are bad. And I think the United States is not willing to give up their guns. But, you know, we're two Supreme Court justices away from losing all this stuff. Do you think that Contenji Brown-Jackson is one of those that wants everyone armed? Of course not. She's a WEF supporter. She doesn't even know what a woman is. What if they put, what if Joe Biden puts two more justices like that online? Ah, uh, think about it. Now, let's get to the next part. Um, the food market has grown, has grown a lot of conspiracy theories over the last few years. Um, there have been Food processing plants that have mysteriously been destroyed. Over the summer, an untold number of cattle had mysteriously died. 
We have had shortages in everything from baby formula to meat, and now we have a shortage in eggs. Eggs are up 65% right now. Eggs. The, eggs used to be the cheapest form of protein you could get. Combine that with the media pushing us to go vegan, to eat bugs, to settle for a more streamlined diet. In other words, eat less and like it. And believe it or not, a lot of people here, the the, the fat people out there, I, our obesity problem in this country is pretty heavy. I wouldn't mind if people stopped eating a little bit. But it seems like the media and the government and the world is trying to mold how we eat, change our behavior when it comes to food. Well, here's the thing with conspiracy theorists. Sometimes they're right. And it seems over the last four or five years, the conspiracy theorists, and I'm not talking about the flat earthers or the people who didn't think we never went to the moon. I'm talking, Chad, I'm talking about the people who are saying that, hey, is there an attack on our food supply? Well, here's Klaus Schwab again, talking about how everything has been affected by the move. Everything will be affected by the move to globalize the world. And <laughs> this is an absolutely amazing, amazing comment. Let's listen. We do not yet know the full extent and the systemic and structural changes which will happen. However, we do know that global energy systems, food systems, and supply chains will be deeply affected. Oh, they don't know what's going to happen? They just, when we go to globalization? But we do know that this stuff's going to affect our food supply, our energy, and our supply chains? Well, here's the thing. Maybe you should know first. And by the way, we, we already know. We know the food, the food supply is going to get affected. It's already being affected. Joe Biden is a globalist. Joe Biden is a member of the WEF. Joe Biden, if he weren't president and senile, would be in Davos right now. He was the last, he was when he wasn't president. We know that a lot of the crap that they're doing now is supported by the WEF. Baby formula. We're out of baby formula. Eggs, meat, everything is short. Go to the grocery store. Go to the meat section. Take a look. All this crap is being done on purpose. And a lot of people who come up with this conspiracy theory, it's looking like it's not much of a conspiracy theory. Now, I don't buy it all yet. I, I, I don't buy it all. But the supply chain, they haven't fixed the supply chain. The food shortages, the baby, the baby formula shortage, that hasn't been fixed yet. I mean, there's huge talk. Well, yeah, baby, but you should be breastfeeding anyway. They're saying this. And you know what's really sick? These evil bastards at the WEF are saying it. Yeah, you're going to be short of food. You're going to be short of energy. Yeah, it's going to get cold. Deal with it. Wear a blanket. I also want to bet that this idiot, Klaus Schwab, he'll be having steak and lobster for dinner for the entire week while he's over there. That, that's the whole thing. These guys don't suffer. It's everyone else that needs to suffer. Okay, move on. So here's CEO for Siemens telling us that we should just go vegan 
And if a billion people go, and because he's, he did this because his daughter said he should go vegan. And he said, if a billion people just decided to go vegan, think of how we could save the earth. It's a very important point that you are addressing. Um, my daughter, 24, inspired me and said that, how can you advocate for these zero carbon value chains if you still eat meat? And so I stopped eating meat. Now the math would say, well, you need to stop eating meat in 11 years to compensate for a flight to Thailand. Yes, but if a billion people stop eating meat, I tell you it has a big impact. Not only does it have a big impact on the current food system, but it will also inspire innovation of food systems. And I predict that we will have proteins not coming from um, meat in the future. They will probably taste even better. So why are we trying to mimic meat if we can have a better taste? They will be zero carbon and much healthier than the kind of food that we eat today. That is a mission that we need to get on. I can inspire you to maybe look at an organization called EAT, easy to remember, EAT, <laughs> who have all the facts on this and who have the policies necessary, the innovations necessary, and the scale necessary in order to make food systems sustainable and healthy. Thank you so much, Jim. And you're right, EAT is really a great foundation. You should all really look it up and... Um... Okay. Uh, um, you decide to stop eating meat, good for you. I, I, Whatever, that's fine. Stop eating meat, good for you. Okay, but a billion people are not going to stop eating meat. Do you know why? Meat is a cheap source of protein. So this is not a thing. And by the way, all meat substitutes, all meat substitutes right now, not only don't taste any good, not only don't taste like meat, they don't have the 16 amino acids that proteins have that man needs to survive. And by man, I mean human being. I don't want to hear the crap about misogyny or anything like that. If you are a weightlifter who doesn't use steroids, the proteins and meats are what repairs your muscles. You will not see any weightlifters or bodybuilders that are vegans. They are constantly eating chicken and beef. I have no issue. Now, the one thing I will say, I have no issues with them coming up with fruit products that taste good that would replace meat. I have no problem with this. Go for it. But here's the thing. Those food systems, which, by the way, it's not systems. What, what, what is this crap, food systems? It's not food systems. We need to eat. We're human beings. We're not living in a system. Probably half the problem with these a-holes. Okay, here's the thing. Maybe they will make a, a food product that's really, really good. And you'll love it. Maybe it will have all the proteins. But does that mean that I still can't eat chicken or steak? What if I want to eat that food system, whatever you want to call it, but I still want to, I still want bacon? Or I still want a rare steak? Or I still want barbecue chicken? Chicken wings, fantastic stuff. What, I'm not allowed to have any of that anymore? I'm pretty sure whatever meat substitutes or food systems they come up with is not going to change the fact that, you know, sometimes I want a steak. 
Finally, and this is one thing that I, I really wish even conservative commentators would talk about. What are they going to do with all the cows in the world, all the pigs, all the chickens in the world? There are a lot of them. What are they going to kill them? Let's face it. One of the reasons they want to get rid of meat eaters is so because the cars, cows fart and put methane into the into the uh, system, into the environment. By the way, you know who else farts? Human beings. And what do we fart? Methane. So what do you do? Get rid of us too? No one has yet answered that. What are we going to do with the cows? Okay, well, finally, here's a gal that says what the real problem is with it, with the meat industry. The reason we are not all vegans right now is not the big food manufacturers, but those small local farmers that are not really falling under any regulations and providing food to people. So when you decide to go get strawberries during the strawberry festival um it's those farmers that are really the pain in the ass when it comes to implementing the wef's food systems let's listen to this dumb broad maybe two thoughts there because mm. global coherence yes mm. but at the same time all the work that's been done but mm. on the nexus between food production health of people and nutrition mm. we have come up systematically to the same conclusion it is a local system that you need to look at. It's locally produced food. It's local challenges. We need absolute control. That's what they're looking for. So, hey, you, the big manufacturers, they can control them. They'll control them through this ES, ESG bullshit. Oh, I just cussed. Anyway, oh, uh, well. Yeah, get over it. Um, which is the environmental, uh, environmental, uh, environmental, social, and governance standards. They can control big food, but they can't control those little farms out there. You know the ones that did you did you know that um, a couple of months ago there was a an Amish farmer that used to provide food to the uh, the locals. The FBI shut him down. An Amish farmer. And the Amish farmer, you know, he basically won. He got away with it. But the idea was, um, what am I doing wrong here? Well, you're not following the CDC or whoever uh, regulations on growing food. He was like, what? I just plant the food. I grow the food. I sell the food. People buy the food. People like the food. That's what they need to control. These people are terrible. I'll go a step further. These people are evil, and none of them are going to be want for anything. They'll all be fine. They'll have their steaks. They'll have their, their strawberries. They'll have their milk. They'll have their eggs. It's you that can't have any of this stuff. Okay, so let's see uh, what's the next part here. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, the next part is, of course, crisis. Always got to have a crisis. Well, here's something. Here's the thing. So we taught the big crisis was COVID, right? And COVID was a, a straightforward crisis. People were actually dying of COVID. Now we're finding out they weren't dying in, at the numbers that supposedly they were. As a matter of fact, even CNN admits that 
well, I mean, the crisis was not great, but I mean, not that as many people died as we thought they did. So that crisis was caused, probably. I'm going to say probably here because I don't know 100% yet. We will know, and it will be because of this. But this crisis was probably caused, done on purpose. Okay, this was an accident. It may have been an accident, but it was the, the virus was created on purpose by a Chinese lab. We're beginning to learn this is more than likely true. Okay. Here's the thing. And, and, and the big problem they're having, the WF is having, is um, climate change is still kind of an obscure crisis. They keep screaming it's crisis, but a bunch of people who are scientists, who have expertise, are also saying, you know, that's not really true. So they're having a real problem with crisis in Davos with the WEF. So what's the best way to do this? Well, let's maybe there will be another crisis that comes around and uh, it'll be catastrophic too. And here they are planting the seed. Here's a guy talking about we're going to have a huge catastrophic cyber event that is going to be a crisis. I don't know who this guy is. Uh, I don't care. But let's just listen to what he says. And then I got a bigger surprise for you. We're here today to share the findings of the World Economic Forum's uh, Global Security Outlook uh, Report 2023. This is a result of uh, research in collaboration with the forum's communities and our partner Accenture, which we've uh, interviewed and sought input from over 300 executives globally. The most striking finding that we found is that 93% of cyber leaders and 86% of cyber business leaders believe that the geopolitical instability makes a catastrophic cyber event likely in the next two years. Wow. So we could have a cyber attack in the next couple of years, and it'll be, again, it'll always be catastrophic. It'll always be a crisis because these guys can't gain power unless there is crisis. And then here's something that's really going to surprise you. Um, this is on the WEF's website, the World Economic Forum's website. It's a video. Why don't you listen to this video and see if you see some similarities here. The COVID-19 pandemic has shaken our economies and societies to the core and shown us how vulnerable we are to biological threats. In the digital world, similar risks are being overlooked right now. A cyber attack with COVID-like characteristics would spread faster and further than any biological virus. Its reproductive rate would be around 10 times greater than what we've experienced with the coronavirus. To give you an idea, one of the fastest worms in history, the 2003 Slammer Sapphire Worm, doubled in size approximately every 8.5 seconds, infecting over 75,000 devices in 10 minutes and almost 11 million devices in 24 hours. Fortunately, at least until now, cyber attacks have not impacted our health the way pandemics have, but the economic damages, and therefore the impact they have had on our daily lives, have been equal and sometimes even greater. You see, the only way to stop the exponential propagation of a COVID-like cyber threat is to fully disconnect the millions of vulnerable devices from one another and from the internet. All of this in a matter of days. 
A single day without the internet would cost our economies more than 50 billion US dollars. And that's before considering the economic and societal damages should these devices be linked to essential services, such as transport or healthcare. As the digital realm increasingly merges with our physical world, the ripple effects of cyber attacks on our safety just keep on expanding at a faster pace than what we're preparing for. COVID-19 was known as an anticipated risk. So is the digital equivalent. Let's be better prepared for that one. The time is now. Interesting, huh? So they're talking at the Adobe, at the World Economic Forum in Davos. They're talking about, yes, there's going to be, within two years, a huge cyber attack creating a crisis, and it'll be cataclysmic and catastrophic and, I don't know, an existential threat, whatever they talk about. And then on their website, they have a video saying, oh, here it comes. It's, and you notice they compare it directly to COVID because people on the left are scared crapless about COVID. People on the right, like me, I'm not that worried about it. I mean, I've caught it three times for Christ's sake. What do I? It hasn't killed me. It hasn't killed me yet. And if it's if I caught it three times, chances are it's not going to do anything to me, but give me a headache for a couple of days. But these guys are sitting back. They're, they're already planning their next crisis. So what's the conspiracy? Are these guys going to are these guys going to encourage the release of a major economically impactful? cyber attack that is the conspiracy theory the problem i have with this being called a conspiracy theory is they seem to kind of be encouraging it right i ugh ugh just i mean this is just absolutely terrible stuff i mean i okay so I don't know. I don't know why I put this in here. I don't know why I called this. Uh, I added this clip to part of the um, control crisis portion. But I mean, they're calling it a crisis. I think that's why I added. Here's Olga Zelensky. This is this is uh, Vladimir this uh, whatever his name is. Uh, Zelensky, the president of Ukraine's wife, and she talks about to. Ch achieve climate neutrality we must stop russian aggression now i think a reason i put it under crisis is because now she's trying to make it that the war in ukraine is a crisis for the entire world all right here's a news flash it's not a crisis for the entire world i i even said that way too early so let's let's listen to let's listen to this broad how does the world want to achieve climate neutrality if so far it hasn't even stopped the burning of entire cities in Ukraine? This is what Russia is doing with its artillery, with its missiles, with its Iranian drones. And you know that the Russian aggression was never intended to restrict itself to the Ukrainian borders. This war can go further and it, it make crises wider if the aggressor does not lose. Now, when the war in Ukraine started, I felt bad for Ukraine. I did. And I thought we should help Ukraine. I did not think we should give money to Ukraine. I thought that. And there are benefits for the $100 billion we've given Ukraine so far. There are benefits to that. I mean, we've weakened one of our major powers with that $100 billion. That $100 billion in the U.S., uh, putting that $100 billion into the U.S. military 
would not have had the effect that this war has had on Russia. So right off the bat, our main competitor now is China, militarily. And I'm not sure they're that huge a competitor. So this money we spend in Ukraine actually does have some benefits for us. Here's the problem. There's no end in sight. And all these people do, what the Zelenskys do constantly, is just go begging for money. And of course, Vladimir Voldemort, or whatever his name is, first name, I can never pronounce it right. Uh, the President Zelensky just continues to go wearing his wearing his uh, his camouflage crap like he's actually out there fighting. He just goes from country to country. He wears the same damn thing. He wears the camo pants and he wears the, the green t-shirt. Like he's actually out there with a rifle shooting people. The guy was a freaking comedian before. And we continue just to give money to these people. And that's all she's doing here. Begging for more money. It's getting annoying. The war has to end. It's been over a year. It's time to end the war. And if you hear something in the background, some guy's blowing a leaf blower. Sorry. The war has to end. But she knows that the best way to end the war, best way to get more money. I don't think she's into it. I don't think Zelensky's into it. I don't think Zelensky's wants to end the war. Money, more money, more money, more money, more money. That's all that seems to be a thing with them. Okay. Now. Let's get to some real serious stuff with the WEF. And I don't know why this isn't being published on Fox News. This isn't being talked up, talked about on the Daily Wire or the New York Post. This is something that scares the crap out of me. And we need to talk about it. So, first thing I'm going to do is prove that I read COVID-19, The Great Reset, by, by Klaus Schwab. All right, I'm going to read a section of his book, a section that scared the crap out of me. In the section, he was discussing the tracking of people because of COVID-19, mind you. Now, the whole book is about COVID-19, and it's about how COVID-19 will implement social changes that will create this great reset. Okay, so let me read this thing. A tracking app gains insights in real time by, for example, determining a person's current location through geodata via GPS coordinates or radio cell location. By contrast, tracing consists in gaining insights in retrospective by identifying physical contacts between people using Bluetooth. Now, he's talking about actually monitoring people here is here is I, i'm gonna read a little bit further down by the way this is on page 160 and 161 in a section entitled contact tracing contact tracking and surveillance in case you decide you want to buy this book and read it you should read it i hate to give this guy any more money but he's already a billionaire so my 14 dollars didn't really count i don't know if this book costs 14 dollars. i think it costs less than that but here's here's the next section write down the most effective form of tracking or tracing is obviously the one powered by technology 
It not only allows backtracking all the contacts with whom the user of a mobile phone has been in touch, but also tracking the user's real-time movements, which in turn affords the possibility to better enforce a lockdown and to warn other mobile users in the proximity of the carrier that they have been exposed to someone infected. Now, here's what is absolutely amazing that he talks about in the book. He says they are doing that in places like Hong Kong and China, which they are. He wants to use China as a model for this contact tracing. And by the way, China is not monitoring people because of contract tracing because of COVID. That's not why they're doing it. They're doing it, same reason they have a social credit score. They're doing it to monitor what their people are doing. So that if they find that someone is doing something he shouldn't be doing, or going somewhere he shouldn't be going, or talking to someone he shouldn't be talking to, they can arrest him and stick him in one of their gulags. Absolutely incredible. It is open. It is in his book. He says it. Well, the World Health Organ, the World Health Organ, the World Economic Forum, they talk about this pretty openly. So here's a guy who's talking about implants in our brains for tracking people. Let's listen. Big data, uh, digital tools at the service of uh, medical and biological progress and advancing very fast. But can you imagine that in 10 years when we are sitting here, we have an implant in our uh, brains and um, I can immediately feel, because you all will have implants, I can, and we measure your, your brain waves, and I can immediately tell you how the people react, or I can feel uh, how the people react um, to your answers. Uh, is it imaginable? Um, I, I think that is imaginable. I think, um, I, I think you know, you can imagine that. You can imagine, well, you're going to be sort of transplanted into, you know, the, the internet, so to speak, to live forever in a digital realm. Uh, you know, you can imagine that, you know, you just in your biological incarnation are going to live to be some, you know, very long age. Uh, I think it is almost impossible to predict. And, and in fact, um, the evolution of technology might be inherent. Now, I have no idea who this guy he's talking to is, but you could tell this guy's like, what the F are you talking about? Putting an implant into your brain so that you know what is happening with that individual and how other individuals react because everyone will have that implant in his brain. How dystopian is that? And I think the guy he asked was thinking to myself, uh, I mean, y you can imagine that. Uh, yeah. And then he didn't know, he almost didn't know how to answer it. 
Because he was kind of like, uh, 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 that's George Orwell, Adulis Huxley crap. That is extreme stuff. And by the way, you notice he said, and I, I want to beat this into you. He said, everyone's going to have it. Well, not this guy. He's not, I'm not going to have it. My kids better not get something like that. Hey, by the way, I'm proud of my kids because they never got the shot. Never got it. My grandkids won't have it. And I'm proud of my kids again because they never got the shot. Josie kids are not going to do something crazy, creepy like that because she's never let her kids get the shot. This is insane. And by the way, this isn't the first time they talked about that. They talked about this last time. Now, I know a lot of people are not, probably not Bible guys. Like, I like the Bible. I've read the Bible a couple times. Okay. But this is the mark of the beast. Remember, 666 will be printed on your forehead? Well, does it sound kind of familiar, putting a brain a chip into your brain so you can be tracked? Dystopian, evil stuff. I mean, just really evil stuff. Well, that wasn't the only thing they were talking about. Of course, they, uh, maybe that was the most extreme. Here is uh, Al Gore. He's saying that, okay, now we need to go against financially anyone who is anti-climate. Anyone. I, it, Al Gore, I don't know. He sounds like he's going kind of insane. So let's listen to Al Gore again. Um, and remember, he was the one screaming at the clouds earlier in yesterday's in yesterday's podcast. So let's listen. Enough already. Enough. And I, I don't want to get sidetracked onto what needs to happen, but we need to scale up climate finance, but we need desperately to scale down anti-climate finance. And we are still subsidizing the burning of fossil fuels globally at a rate 42 times larger than the subsidies for the shift toward renewables and EVs, uh, <clears throat> etc. We need new leadership at the World Bank. We need them to uh, scale up the leverage and vastly increase the amounts that are, are committed. And we need to rein in the anti-climate activities of the fossil industry. Enough already. How about this? Enough already, Al. Enough already with your climate fear-mongering. What is he calling for? He's calling for people to be completely deplatformed, even from the financial industry, if they don't believe in what Al Gore believes in, which, by the way, not a lot of people believe in what Al Gore believes in. I would even guess that a lot of people at the World Economic Forum don't believe in what Al Gore is saying. But that's already happening in the United States. People are, Trump was deplatformed. Trump lost the ability to collect money from constituents. It's already happening in the United States. If you say something wrong, you've got credit card companies right now that are saying you can use your credit card in some places, but to buy a gun? No, you're not allowed to do that. I have to go because Bank of America is one of these companies. I have to go if I want to buy a gun. I have to get cash. I can't just buy a gun with my credit card. It's marked now. 
they're already controlling what you can spend your mo- your money on. Which, by the way, a financial institution should remain politically neutral, but they're not. And this is what these guys are calling for. And by the way, nobody is there to sit back and argue with this guy. Why isn't there anyone there to sit there and say, you know what, you're 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 an idiot? I would love to be there. I'd say, no, you're an idiot. You don't just suddenly take people's livelihoods away. Because you think there's a climate problem. How about we debate the climate problem? There's no debating with these people. And anyone who debates him is anti-climate. Again, the the whole word, the whole word, anti. The anti-climate thing bothers the crap out of me. It's like being anti-abortion. I'm anti-abortion. I'm not pro-life. I'm not pro-life. Because you know what people say? Well, you're for the death penalty. Well, yeah, I am for the death. I'm pro-death penalty. Well, that's not life. I'm not supporting life there. I'm anti-abortion. And I'm sorry, I'm anti-climate change. You want to call anti-climate change? Okay, no, how about this? I just don't believe what you believe. But he calls that anti-climate. And he, and he pigeonholes anyone who questions his science or his belief system. This is the whole disinformation thing. Control, control, control. It's all about control. Well, here's um, Oxford professor uh, Najer, I guess that's her name, Woods. Woods. She's talking about how we should implement a a price for using carbon fuels. I guess you could call it a carbon tax, okay? But any company that uses carbon, any, you know, coal or oil or whatever, well, they should have to pay for it. So let's listen to what she has to say. So what is what is really required now on the energy transition? And the thing that's missing is clear permanent government goalposts. The one minimum thing that governments need to do, whether it's the Chinese government, the European Union government, African governments, or the American government, and that's to set the rules that create an ecosystem for every company in the world to then make excellent decisions on the energy transition. You know, first, obviously, a carbon price, not a pretend price, but a real carbon price that, that companies can know is not going to change. Companies need to know that the goalposts won't shift every year or every three years or every election cycle. So and I think that's the, that's the one thing about the energy transition that we now absolutely have to set our minds to. We shouldn't let it become a partisan football. I love when a leftist sits back and talks about um, setting up goalposts because the left has set up goalposts. They just keep moving them. So we need to set up a solid goal. Okay, set up your goalposts. Now let's talk about it. But they never do that. They set up the goalpost, and then when someone brings up something that makes sense, they move the goalpost so that, oh, well, we're not talking about that anymore. I mean, the left does this all the time, right? I, For example, um, hey, we should have, we should have uh, drag queens um, reading to our kids. Well, and then the question is, well, I don't want drag queens reading to kids. Well, why are you noticing that? 
That's not something important. Or here's the thing. Here's the, here's what's more common. Drag queens reading to kids. That's not happening. Then they move the post again when they find out it is happening. Well, it's happening, but it's not happening a lot. And then when people say, well, yeah, but it's happening more than I want it to happen. Then they say, well, it's happening a lot, but it's good. Then they say, well, it's ha it, happening a lot. It's good. And it's required. That's what they do. That's moving the goalposts. That's what these guys always do. So if, if someone says, for example, well, wait a minute, what about the fact that the ozone layer is actually repairing itself? They'll move the goalposts and say, yes, but it could go back bad again. What if it goes bad again? What if it starts? That's moving the goalposts. They do not, the left cannot set up solid goalposts. Okay, uh, here's this next guy here, and he's talking about, uh, let me find that here. Here he's talking about digital ID, globalized digital IDs. So basically, you take an ID, you put it on your phone, and then you are part of the global world. So let's listen to this guy talk about this. And again, this is just no. <laughs> I think there's a huge impetus now for a national digital infrastructure. Digitization in, in healthcare is, I think, one of the great game changers. You know, we should be helping countries to develop a national digital infrastructure, which they will need with these new vaccines. And then, you know, finally, it, it, it's, it's also about showing people and showing the political leadership that you can make a positive difference to your healthcare system by adopting these measures because they've got, a, they've got an impact beyond any particular disease and, or, or, or pandemic. Okay, I'm going to cuss right now. Bullshit. The digital ID system, and by the way, these were the same guy. I, I played this last year, the lot when they did this last year. These digital IDs are not for vaccines. These digital IDs, and by the way, they also wanted to implant those into your brain too. These digital IDs are for tracking. I don't want a digital ID. I don't want a global digital ID. And he said, we're going to help these countries do that. Help these countries do this so they can track the people of that country. I'm not interested. Get the F out of here. You, you keep, and by the way, the vaccines don't work. I, I'm sorry, I'm going to call it. The vaccines don't work. I was vaccinated. I'm probably expired now. I've caught, I've caught COVID three times. The vaccines don't work. You don't need to know if I'm vaxxed. And that's it. The idea with a digital with a digital ID, a global digital ID, is that they can sit there and say, well, he's not vaxxed. He's not allowed. That's that's what it comes down to. And then I can I have that app with my digital ID on it, on my card, or they stick it in my brain or they stick it in my arm. And then I'm able to be tracked 100 percent of the time. How about this? No. This is this is the stuff. I mean. We're not even, I'm not even touching on the fact that this is an invasion of privacy. That this actually violates HIPAA laws for privacy, medical privacy. That the government is allowed to know this stuff. Okay, so I, I had to put this, I had to put this video in, uh, this, this section in. I know I'm 50 minutes. I told you this is going to be really long, but I think this is very important. I think this is really, really, really important. We have to talk about 
LGBTQ plus minus divided by sign Amber Sam tilde group. We have to talk about that. That has to be brought up at the World Economic Forum. Not that this is a Western civilization thing. I mean, if you're gay in China, you're a dead man. If you're gay in most of Asia, you're a dead man. If you're gay in the Middle East, you're a dead man. If you're gay in Africa, you're a dead man. But these people don't care about it. But you have to talk about it. And, of course, they did. So let's listen to this. I don't think this is anything big or really important, but it just shows how the LGBTQRSTUXWYXZ tilde pound sign group has become an influence. Let's listen. Um, normalizing LGBTQ folks, including us in all stories. So that's the other piece that I think is really important. And we've worked really closely with Hollywood on this. We are all connected in the LGBTQ community. So we would help you find the right people on the ground to advise you in that culture. It's really important that you're acting within the culture that you're in and you're speaking within the culture that you are. But, um, and I think it's imp what you mentioned about getting ahead of it instead of coming behind it mm -hmm. um, and understanding the cultural landscape and playing out from a PR standpoint what's going to could happen or not happen um, but you have to do it now she basically admitted a few things here that were obvious one that you have to respect the LGBTQ you can't have any dissonance against it you have to agree with it. It has to be done. Hollywood is 100% cooperating, and they are spreading propaganda. That's what you got from that. I mean, she didn't use those words, but if you listen to it again, that's pretty much what she said. So, good, good job. We can see that the LGBTQ plus whatever community has become a political has become a, basically a political party. I mean, they got their own flag. Personally, I'd rather just buy them an island someplace and just let them all go there, and then they can raise their flag or whatever that they change every 17 minutes. Okay, well, so I want to close today. The, um, the uh, uh, Davos, Ed World Economic Forum in Davos. And, of course, they had to close it with some entertainment. And they did. Oh my god. I tell you what. Why don't you just listen to it. And then I can close this podcast. And we can talk about. Dumber things on Monday. So why don't you listen. To the closing piece of entertainment. At the World Economic Forum. In Davos.
Jesus Christ, help us all. Ugh. I hope you had a good time. I hope you learned something. I hope you'll do a little bit more research. A couple books you can read. Um, Klaus Schwab, uh, COVID-19, The Great Reset. And also Glenn Beck has a great book called The Great Reset, 21st Century Fascism. Read that. I, I would read them both back to back simply because, yeah, they're, they're, they're really something. I hope you enjoyed. This is Gene, and you've listened to Dumbasses Talking Politics.